It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. All right, guys, you are Locked On Falcons. I am your host, Aaron Freeman, and today I am giving you my rapid reaction to the Falcons' 28-16 loss to the Cleveland Browns in Week 10. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily podcast on the Atlanta Falcons, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years at FalcFans.com, on Twitter, at FalcFans, and, of course, the host of this illustrious Locked On Falcons podcast. Today is our rap, is my rapid reaction to the Falcons' disappointing, frustrating loss to the Cleveland Browns in Week 10 by a score of 28-16. to 16. I will discuss some of my thoughts, some of my observations from this game, my initial ones. I'll come back later in the week and and share some additional insights that I have from watching the film as I do on a regular basis, uh, sprinkled throughout the week as we get prepared for the upcoming game against the Dallas Cowboys. But in the meantime, let's talk about this game. To be honest with you, I don't have a ton to take away from this game. This is a game where I'm just going to basically chalk it up as the Falcons falconing as opposed to trying to read too much into this and be like, Oh, this means this. And this is going to say this about our season. We've seen this team play this way more than once this season. Um, You can take the Philadelphia game. You could take the, the uh, Steeler game uh, just to use some road examples and some other games where this team has sort of looked a bit, a little bit lackluster on the at home. Uh, and I think the the main thing I'll say about this game um, is what I've said a number of times when we've talked about these road games is it really boils down to the Falcons' ability to start fast on offense. We we they couldn't afford to start slow because this defense isn't good enough to sort of play from um, behind. And one of the things I mentioned on this week's crossover episode, previewing this game with uh, Jeff Lloyd of locked on Browns was that the, you know, I I called the Falcons the F word, which is front runner. And that's the truth. Like they're, they're now two and nine under Dan Quinn. When they are held scoreless in the first quarter, they were held scoreless today. It seemed like things were getting on track in the second quarter. Uh, You know, they had a field goal. Casey got that interception. They scored off of that, you know, but then there was five minutes to go in the second quarter. The defense let them down, gave up a big, 80-yard drive to the Browns. Nick Chubb killed him on that drive. He he accounted for like 54 out of the 80 yards on that drive on like six touches. Then the Falcons had another opportunity to score before the end of the half with a minute left to go. They didn't do anything. They got the ball back at the start of the third quarter. uh, And Mohamed Sanu, everybody's favorite number two wide receiver, and certainly a a guy that is earning his – I'm kidding, guys. No. You gotta have a sense of humor about this stuff, guys. Um, but no, Sanu fumbled the ball. That turned into a, a quick seven points. Then the offense did its usual third quarter song and dance of doing nothing, uh, the nothing song or whatever you want to call it. And then the Browns wound up getting another seven points after Nick Chubb broke a, a 92 yard run. So basically, it was the Falcons' offense and Nick Chubb. 
uh, or the lack of uh, the Falcons' offense, and way too much of Nick Chubb is sort of what defined this game, particularly in the second and third quarters, and, and that was it. Um, and then the Falcons really didn't do much in the first quarter and, and didn't do enough in the fourth quarter. They were able to move the ball down to the one-yard line on consecutive drives, but they only wound up getting six points. They got stopped on the initial drive on a fourth and goal, um, and I'm sure there are plenty of people that were blaming the play calling. This is not something new that has happened with the Falcons where they get stalled in the red zone in goal-to-go situations. Uh, that has been a relatively frequent occurrence um, with this team uh, over the last year or plus. And then on the second drive, they got down a fourth and goal and Hooper was able to score, but they failed on the two-point conversion, so they only wound up with six points. Now, what's notable to me, all that being said, is the Falcons had five situations this game where they faced a down and distance where they only had two yards or less to convert, and they ran the football, and they only converted two of them, one of the, which was a 12-gauge play to uh, where, where Sanu lined up in the shotgun and handed the ball off to Ito Smith, and the other one was a second-and-two run by Ito Smith. But there were three times where they faced a third and one, and they couldn't convert on any of the run plays. I think two of them were Coleman runs, and one of them was an Ito Smith run, but I could be off on that. They might have all three been Coleman runs. Um they wound up throwing the ball a lot in short yardage situations in this game. They were able to convert a, the majority of those, uh, six out of ten when they had three or less yards to go in short yardage this game when throwing the football. And you, you know I got to talk about it. We got to talk about the fullback situation. The Falcons deactivated Ricky Ortiz. Um, my assumption is that he was hurt, that he had some unknown injury uh, that occurred within the last 48 hours because I don't recall him being on the injury report uh, this week. And so I, I couldn't imagine the Falcons making him a healthy scratch. That just doesn't make any sense. And I think, you know, not having a fullback out there probably contributed to some of their short yarder struggles. Now, the Falcons not having a fullback didn't stop the Falcons from being able to run the ball effectively because when you look at the combined carries of uh, Smith and, and Coleman in this game on 15 runs, they were successful in 53% of them. Uh, which is good. And again, for those of you people that don't aren't familiar with success rate, which is a stat I use frequently on this podcast to talk about particularly running efficiency, but also offensive efficiency. It is a stat that sort of measures down and distance and or takes in account down and distance as part of that efficiency. Um, and anything above 45% is good. Anything above 50% is really good. Anything above 55% is excellent. Um, what was interesting to me also in addition to the Falcons' struggles on short yardage is you saw this game where the Falcons quite often use Austin Hooper to sort of supplement the running game, uh, even though the running game was mostly effective. And, uh, you know, Hooper had 10 catches for 56 yards. And this was something I talked about on Friday's Q&A when a one, per- one listener asked the question of who was the most improved player. And I basically said, I don't think it's Hooper, although I- I'm sure some people will say it is. I, I thought it was Jake Matthews. But I don't think Hooper has really improved all that much. He has improved, but I I don't think his improvement has been substantial. I think how he has been used has been what has led to sort of the increase in production more so than necessarily his individual skill improving. And I think this game was a perfect illustration of that because a lot of the catches he had today, uh, a lot of those 10 catches came in situations where the team could have ran the football, situations that you could normally sort of look at in an NFL offense and particularly his Falcon team and said, oh, that's a running down. Um, he had four, four of Hooper's catches came on first and 10, uh, which is an obvious rundown. Uh, and those were for five, six, four, and five yards. 
Um, and I've explained in the past how you can sort of, you know, on running situations, whether it's a pass for five yards or a run for five yards, it's the same amount as far as the offense is concerned. And three of Hooper's catches came on second and long, where it was seven or more yards, and those were for 10, 10, and three yards. So seven of his 10 catches came in situations where he basically caught relatively short passes. Most of those were being short passes um, and sort of helping the Falcons get into advantageous down and distances on second down and on third downs. And so that's one of the things where you might very well wind up seeing Hooper you know, finish the season with like 70, 75 catches. I think he's on pace for like, or he was on pace last time I checked for like 72. And that probably number has been boosted uh, after today's 10 catch performance. But he might only be wind up finishing the season averaging like eight or nine yards per reception as opposed to 10 or 11 that you would normally expect. And he has been consistently averaging more than for most of his career here in Atlanta. And that's largely due to the fact that the Falcons have sort of used him as an outlet receiver to help keep to help supplement the running game and help keep the offense on schedule. And you saw that today. You saw that against the Steelers. You saw that against the Bucs. Basically, all his games where he gets a high volume of targets, you see him being used in that way in addition to him getting more opportunities in the red zone, getting more uh, and continue to do solid work on third downs. So that is just something I wanted to point out um, as a positive from this game, because there's not a whole lot to take away from it. Um, we have more to come. We'll talk about the offense. We'll talk about the defense uh, in a moment. But I do want to let you guys know that you can check out the NBA side of the Lockdown Podcast Network, where you can find a podcast devoted to all 30 NBA teams, including Lockdown Hawks, hosted by my good friend Brad Rowland. Find that wherever you get your Lockdown Podcast, your NBA team every day. Now, people are always asking me for advice because they think I know everything, but I can at least admit a little bit that I don't know everything, particularly when it comes to who's going to win each and every week in this NFL league. But if you know, then you got to check out my bookie. Remember, who you're betting on is just as important as who you're betting with. And that's why I always tell people to go to my bookie. Trust me, guys, they're the best bet you'll make this season. They've been in business for years. They have great reviews online. Their mobile site is very easy to use. They have in-game live betting, over-unders on fantasy points scored, and the most rewarding player perks in the business. MyBookie has been slammed with new bettors and wants to give everyone the best service possible. If you're willing to deposit after 7 p.m., they'll give you an additional $25 free play on deposits over $100. Join now, and MyBookie will match your deposit dollar for dollar. Use the promo code LOCKEDON to activate that offer when you sign up. Go ahead, visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E and use the new promo code LOCKEDON25 if you're going to hold out till after 7 p.m. to get that extra $25 pre-play by using that promo code LOCKEDON25. If you're signing up for the first time at MyBookie, use the promo code LOCKEDON to get your deposit matched. Use the promo code LOCKEDON25 after depositing, if you're already signed up after seven after seven p.m. to get that twenty-five dollar free play, it's a great deal. You guys, you play, you win, you get paid. This is David Harrison of the Locked On Commanders podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Discover. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty-four-seven U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. 
Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Now, I think looking at this game specifically, this is the same old, again, it's the same old song, but the Falcons didn't do the things that they needed to do in order to win this game. And we sort of outlined this in a couple of episodes earlier this week, but we knew the Browns game plan was basically going to be, let's control the line of scrimmage. Let's keep this, let's play good defense. Let's keep this low scoring so that we can continue to run the football because that's the biggest, best part of our offense, Nick Chubb. And we'll let Baker Mayfield manage the game. And the Browns basically checked all those boxes. Chubb finished the game with 176 yards rushing. 92 of that came on a one run in the third quarter and touchdown run. But even before that game, he had 13 carries for 66 yards um, and had been successful in 54% of those 13 carries. He finished the game with a success rate of 55% on 20 carries. May- Mayfield completed 85% of his passes for 216 yards and three touchdowns. The Browns converted four of eight third downs. What was interesting is the Browns were able to get in a lot of third manageables. They only saw two third and longs where it was seven yards or more to convert. This game, they were one of two on one of two on those third and longs on the third and manageables. With six yards or less to go, they were three of six. But the problem was by the time the Falcons started getting stops on third downs, which was late in the game, the Browns were already up 28 to 13, or I mean 28 to 10. And so through the first three and a half quarters, when the Browns built that lead, they had about six possessions. Um, the Browns only faced five third down attempts on those six possessions. They scored four touchdowns on those six possessions with one point and one interception. So this game went exactly how the Browns had sort of scripted it going up, you know, one of the reasons why the Browns didn't face many third downs was they were so effective at winning consistently on first and second downs. Their success rate throwing on first down was 70%. Their rushing success rate was 47% on first downs. Their success rate throwing on second downs was 67%. Their rushing success rate was 57%. And again, that goes back to what I was saying, where basically anything above 45% is good. Anything above 55% success rate is is, is excellent. So the Browns pretty much did an excellent job on first and second down throughout this game. And basically, if you look at those first six possessions in this game, uh, only at those first six possessions when they were able to build a lead, their first down success rate overall, both passing and running, was 50%, and their second down success rate was 83%. So basically, if the Browns weren't able to get you know the yards that they wanted on first down, they almost always got it on second down. And when they got it on first down, you know, they were good to go on second. And they still got it on second down. So it was it was one of those things where the Falcons couldn't take advantage of the fact that the Browns offense really struggled to sustain all season long. They went into this game with the 29th ranked third down defense, but because the Browns were able to win on first and second down, we, that never got exposed. And, and unfortunately, the Browns were able to continue to, to actually have one of their best performances of the year on third downs, uh, given the opportunities. So... You know, and and the Falcons struggled on third downs in this game. They went into this game obviously number one in third down conversion rate on offense this year. Uh, but this was one of their worst performances of the season. They converted just five of fourteen. But when you go looking at their first like six or seven possessions through that midpoint in the third quarter, they were one of seven. So the fact that they were four of seven in in you know at the end of the third quarter in the fourth quarter on third downs was basically just stat padding a little bit. Um, and that's kind of what my biggest takeaway from the offense. I'm, I'm sure there will be others that will look at some of the stats that the Falcons put up 
today and, and look at this guy's performance or that guy's performance is oh yeah they sat better you, you could even argue hooper to a certain extent was doing that um i think no no person other than takes the cake more than that is matt ryan with his performance he completed 38 of 52 passes for 330 yards two touchdowns finished the game with a passer rating of 102 now i think if you watch the game you wouldn't necessarily look at this game and be like oh matt ryan killed it he was playing great th- today certainly not playing at a level that i think is um measurable to those stats now that being said i'm not saying that matt ryan played poorly i think he had a decent game I, oh, let's say this i think outside the context of this season's performances where he's probably had what like six really good games and two one bad game against philadelphia and then maybe one mediocre game um against somebody else that i can't think of maybe new orleans i think um you would probably say like oh yeah this was one of his worst games of the season but it doesn't mean he played poorly you know, just because he's played so well this season. But the point of me bringing that, I'm not trying to sit here and blame Matt Ryan, but I do think, you know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to have this take and I know I'm going to fight somebody at some point and get in an argument with somebody at some point later this season talking about how the Falcons and Matt Ryan haven't particularly played well on the road. And people will look at his stats and be like, oh, well, but Matt Ryan's passer rating is X. And I think now through four road games this season, including today's game, his passer rating now on the road is like 94 95 or something like that and you know you look at that Steeler game I think he had a 99 passer rating he had a he was great against Washington don't don't get me wrong um but you you see this you know the Philadelphia game where he played poorly the Steeler game where he was okay the this today's game he was okay um and you have three out of the four road games where Matt Ryan hasn't really done a whole lot again now don't this, this is not me trying to bash Matt Ryan I'm not trying to sit here and bash Matt Ryan I'm just trying to sit here and point out that stats can be a little bit misleading um, when it comes to these and you have to sort of look at the context of these things. And, you know, I, I think it's not a Matt Ryan issue with the offense today. You know, I think he was part of it, but not a significant part of it. Um, you know, I think Sark had something to do with it, but again, I'm not going to sit here and blame it on Sark. You know, the running game, you know, was good in some ways, but not good in other ways. The offensive line, you know, was meh. You know, the defense was certainly meh. So, you know, it's not about playing the blame game with Matt Ryan or anybody else, but it is one of those things where you throw them all into a soup and the soup tastes pretty bad. And I think that's basically what summarizes what happened to the Falcons today. I just only point out the Matt Ryan thing because I know people, you know, there, there are people, various people on Twitter and elsewhere that like to throw out Matt Ryan's stats and be like, he's playing great. And, you know, I think when you actually look at the games, and not just at the numbers, you're like, well, you know, we could have used a little bit more for Matt Ryan. But obviously, I'm not blaming, again, I don't want anybody to take away from me saying that. I'm already regretting saying having this part of the podcast. Um, but, like, I know people are going to take away, and, you know, some people are going to run with the whole, Matt Ryan was terrible today, and then other people will be like, Matt Ryan played great today. And it's like, no, you know, it was closer to somewhere in the middle. It was, it was more good than bad, certainly, um, but it was somewhere in the middle. And because people have these continue to have these arguments after eight years about Matt Ryan. You know, it's, it's very, that's, that's more frustrating to me than actually his performance at all today. So I don't know. I I just wanted to point that out because I just, I I just know that I'm going to have this conversation with somebody today that all like Matt Ryan's up struggling on the road. He's put up these ridiculous, look at his road numbers. And it's like, watch the games. Don't just look at the box score, but uh, we got more to finish uh, when I come back uh, and talk more about 
sort of this game and putting in the context of the season. But you guys should definitely check out the Locked On NFL podcast with host Matt Williamson, where you can get a new expert every day. Monday brings you great experts from around the Locked On podcast network to get you the latest on going on with teams. I was on Matt's show this past Monday. You can find Sage Rosenfeld on Tuesday talking with Matt. You can find Mike Renner from Pro Football Focus on Wednesdays. ESPN's Mike Sando joins Matt for Thursdays. And on Friday, you can get Matt's picks of the weeks. Find the Locked On NFL podcast wherever you get your Locked On podcast, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I only only brought up that Matt Ryan thing just because I thought it was notable that he put up these ridiculous numbers, but I don't think this was a good game for him. Um. That's really all I have to say about the offense. I, I, I think the offense is to blame for this loss, but I'm not going to sit here and bash the offense because they're going to have some down games this year. Um, they're not going to be perfect. They're not, again, you know, someone, I think one of the Q&A questions on Friday was, is this whole thing sustainable? You know, is, or something, or I answered it, something along the lines was, like I was expecting some regression in the back half. And I'm not sitting here saying, like, this game proves that this, the team is regressing or anything like that. Um, but you're, like, you're not going to expect 16 great great game performances from this offense. They just can't do it. It's just not possible. Um, even Kyle Shanahan's offense didn't do it. And, you know, that old chestnut. Um, and it, I'm kind of the same way with the defense. Like, this defense is not good. We thought they were getting better coming off of the last couple of games. We thought, you know, with Deion Jones potentially coming back next week, People were excited that, you know, this defense was going to start putting things together. And no, they didn't. (laughs) They didn't. Um, And we'll see if they rebound after this. But, you know, one of the things I mentioned early this season when we were in in September and we were constantly talking about how the injuries were decimating this team and this defense and were the cause of this. And one of the things I said then was, you know, there were six players on this Falcons defense that you could consistently rely on week in and week out to perform at a high level. Three of those guys got hurt. Their names were, of course, Keanu Neal, Deion Jones, and Ricardo Allen. One of those guys, Grady Jarrett, missed two games this season. So he's been dealing with some injuries. The other two would be Robert Alford and Desmond Trufant. And the issue with Robert Alford and Desmond Trufant is that they haven't been as consistent week in and week out this year as they have been in previous years. And, you know, Tack, you could have argued that Tack was like the seventh guy that was trying to join that group. But if we look at Tack's season this year, I think he played great in September. I think he's been kind of middling since that Cincinnati game. He had a great performance against that game. Uh, maybe he's been dealing with nicks and, and bruises and, and his whatever. And that was a big reason why the Falcons wound up adding Bruce Irvin to sort of, a, you know, give Tack a little bit of a break. Who knows? I don't know. But, you know, I don't think Tack has quite hit that threshold yet where I would put him as number seven 
in that group of six. Um, but I do want to talk a little bit about Alford and Trufant, who I don't think performed great today, but I think people have a tendency to exaggerate you know, their poor performances. And I know regular listeners of this podcast know I'm very much pro-Alford and Trufant. I will do not deny that there is a very strong pro-Alford and Trufant bias from myself. I will defend those guys. I will defend their performance today to a certain extent. Um, I think the nature of the cornerback position tends to cause people to overreact to when guys get beat, and I've explained that a thousand times on this podcast. I think you saw that last week where Trufant makes a great play on a football, drops the interception, and people are like, get rid of him. He's a bum. And it's like, but he made a great play on the football. I, I, I do understand that interceptions are important and creating turnovers are important, but if you do the four things in a five-step process that you need to do in order to make a play, but you just don't complete the five, fifth thing, it doesn't mean, well, you stink and you need to go. Okay? And, you know, I'm deflecting a little bit, and but I, I don't understand why people think Trufon and Alford are overpaid and, and think, you know, Sanu is perfectly living up to his contract. I, I don't get that, but, you know, that's that's my own personal issue. I'll have to bang my head into the wall trying to figure that one out. My only guess is that, you know, there, again, is an inherent bias that favors offensive players where if a wide receiver catches two passes, he's also, he's deemed to be awesome. While if a cornerback gives up two passes, he's deemed to be terrible. Um, but regardless, you know, they made things way too easy for the Browns receivers today. No doubt about that. Um, you know, I'm not going to go as far as to say that one or both of these guys – should be benched, or one or both of these guys should be off the team next year. Um, but, you know, I, 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 I will defend my stance in, in saying that I think with Alford and Trufant, I am very much in favor of these two guys. I, you know, I, I got went into the season saying they're one of the best, they're in the, the conversation for the best cornerback duo in the league. Now, I will certainly not fault or disagree with somebody who says they're no longer in that conversation. That's probably true based off of how they played this year. But again, I don't think they've been nearly as bad as people make them out to be. And I still think they're an above average to good cornerback duo. Um, I think at the end of the day today, they gave up like what, six catches to the Browns receivers today, which I like, I don't get why that's, you know, like a terrible offense. Um, but, you know, they gave a couple of those were big plays, Antonio Callaway and Brashad Perriman and Richard Higgins, who I know aren't necessarily household names. I know those guys aren't on many of your fantasy teams, and I think that's probably fueling the perception a little bit that they're not good. And so, you know, Alford and Trufant got beat by some bums today or whatever. But, um, you know, I think the Browns have some good skill position players. Uh, Higgins was one of my favorite receivers in his draft class. Perriman was a first-round pick. Callaway, for a lot of people, if he didn't have off-field issues, some people thought that he was the best wide receiver besides Calvin Ridley and, and DJ Moore in this past year's draft class. So, you know, they're not bums, and we know Jarvis Landry's one of the best slot receivers in the league. So, um, again, I, you know, I'm, I'm very biased on this issue, and I will continue to be biased on this issue because I think, for me at least, I can remember the years from – roughly 2003 to 2011 where the Falcons cornerback play was terrible. Now you had a couple of good years from Brent Grimes in there, some great years from Brent Grimes in there towards the end of that uh, period. And you had some good years from D hall uh, towards the early part of that period. Um, but I think if, if you think Alfred and Trufant at this point in time are comparable to what we had back then, 
And I, you know, I, I'm not going to agree with you on that one. So, um, you know, to me, I, I look at this game, and again, this is another bias I have. Uh, this fits another narrative that I'm pushing. But the stat that stands out to me more so than Alford and Trufant, whatever their coverage stats wind up being, is the Falcons had zero sacks and zero hits in this game. Now, I know you can certainly say, well, Baker was getting the ball out quickly. And yes, it was true. They were getting the ball out quickly, simple reads and all that sort of thing. Um, you know, but I can, at the end of the day, I can accept cornerbacks getting beat from time to time. I've said it a thousand times before. I think this is the nature of the position, but I, I cannot accept zero sacks and zero hits. That's just, I just can't accept that in an NFL game. Brooks Reed got, you know, I think, I don't think in an official stat book, Brooks Reed's strip on Baker counted as a hit because Baker picked it up and, and turned it into a six yard gain. Um, so, you know, that, that was basically it. You know, there was a couple other times where they got some pressure, but I don't know. I just, I feel like these guys have to do a lot worse than what they did today for me to be like, oh, we need to get, we need to replace our corners as some people are pushing. Um, we'll wrap things up by talking about how, you know, the Falcons are terrible against the AFC. They've now lost nine of the last 10 against AFC opponents. Um, what's interesting about that is it doesn't seem to have the same road home dichotomy that you would think that normally plays the Falcons. Uh, in under Dan Quinn, they're five and two on the road against AFC opponents while one and six at home. Now, to be fair, putting further context into it, three of those road wins came against teams that were pretty bad, that had five or less wins uh, in the course of that season when the Falcons beat them. And I think the worst record that the the Falcons, the worst team that the Falcons played at home that was an AFC team uh, was the 6-10 and 10 Dolphins last year. Um, so really their only quality wins versus the AFC have basically been against like Oakland and Denver back in 2016. Uh, both which both of which were road games, um, but basically against any competent AFC team, if competency is measured by winning at least six games over the course of a season, they're three and eight under Dan Quinn. We'll we'll be curious to see if the Browns cross that threshold. Right now, I'm not necessarily optimistic that they will, but who knows? Um, so I I think this is a thing. Why it's a thing, I have no idea. Whether it's a breakdown in the scouting process, the coaching process, or the players on the field, I have no idea. Uh, I doubt it's just one thing. You know, they've had a, a couple of prominent games um, where they've blown substantial halftime leads against AFC teams, against the Colts in 2015, the Chargers in 2016, Dolphins last year. You've had some games where they just basically came out really flat. The New England game last year, the Steelers game this year, Browns game uh, today. Um, they were really flat in that Titans game back in 2015 until they basically figured it out in the third quarter and won that game. Um, but, you know, I think the lack of familiarity is a thing. Again, I don't know whether that's coming from the scouting, the coaching, or the player side of things. Uh, it's probably a combination of all three. But it maybe it manifests itself somewhat in the slow starts. Maybe it manifests itself in the, in the inability to make proper mid-game adjustments, or when an opposing team starts to make mid-game adjustments, the Falcons struggle to counter them in those situations. Um, I mean, that's all I wanted to say. It's, a, it's certainly a thing. Nine out of the last ten is, is a very glaring stuff. they got one more to go against Baltimore. We'll see how that goes. And we'll see how the rest of this season goes. Um, I'm not particularly too down after this loss, because this is the Falcons versus the Browns, and Mentioned it a number of times this week. I think we talked about it specifically on that fan talk on Thursday with Keon Pasha. 
But you, you just never want to overlook the, the the Browns when the Falcons play them. You know, you go back to that 2014 game where Brian Hoyer, you know, was killing it and, and led them to a game-winning drive. Uh, you saw that 2010 game where the Falcons won, but Seneca Wallace was killing it in that first half. And it really, the only thing that saved the Falcons that led to the win, in my opinion, was they knocked Seneca Wallace out of the game. I can't remember if it was Abraham or uh, Corey knocked him out of the game. And then Jake DeLome came in and completely crapped the bed. Uh, then you have the 06 game against Charlie Fry, um, where Michael Vick, after two really strong games or against like what Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, and then I think they, you know, they had a trap game against Detroit, and then it was like, okay, they'll rebound at home against Cleveland, this bad Cleveland team, and Vic played terrible, and, and, and Charlie Fry led the Browns to victory that day. You know, Charlie effing Fry. So, you know, this this is what the Falcons Browns games did to be. So uh, but I, I do think, you know, I'm still reasonably optimistic the Falcons can still win nine games this year. Uh, a couple of days ago, I was reasonably, if not very optimistic, the Falcons could win 10 games this year. Um, I still think 10 wins is still within reach, but, you know, it's a lot less likely today than I thought it was 48 hours ago. Um, we'll see. We'll see how the rest of the season goes. You know, this is a classic example and I'm looking at my low-kai bracelet right now, and it's like, you know, the highs and lows. Like, people were very high on the Falcons after a very impressive win against the Redskins last week. Now, I'm sure people, the pendulum has swung all the way back after a very lackluster loss and disappointing loss and frustrating loss against the Browns this week. And what I always say is, like, you know, things are never as good as you think they are. Things are never as bad as you think they are. So I think, you know, the truth is somewhere in the middle, you know. We all got to process these things in, in our way, but uh, I don't think, you know, just like I don't think people, I think people overreacted a little bit this past week thinking, oh, well, the Falcons are, you know, and look, I, I, I wanted to buy into it, but I, you know, me being me, I'm always going to be like, you oh, know, let's pump the brakes a little bit on that. Like, I want to see, I want to see how they handled this Browns game before I'm going to start buying too much in stock in that. And then I would have said, well, even if they took care of business of Browns, I'd be like, I want to see what they do against Dallas before I buy. And then it's like, oh, let's see what they do against the Saints on a short week. You know, that's just my nature. I'm not going to deny that at all. But, um, you know, it, it takes a lot for me to get fully on the Falcons bandwagon. Um, but at the same time, I don't think anybody needs to necessarily abandon ship, or at least not any more so than I guess you were earlier this season. Um, and they won you back then. You know, I'm sure there were plenty of people that were ready to abandon ship after weeks four and five. Um, and then they they slowly won you back. And I think they still, you know, there's still games for them to do that again now. So basically, whatever your attitude was going into that Bucks game or coming out of that Bucks game, it's probably the same attitude you should have about right now. So we'll see what they do against Dallas. We'll see how they rebound. I think they will. I still think there's a lot of winnable games down the stretch. And, you know, I'll continue to think the Falcons are going to beat some of these teams. I'll continue to think they're going to lose to some of these teams. And we'll see what happens. But until then, guys. You are Locked On Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. 
They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL Draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.